but I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Tim Bedall, and I serve as lead pastor here at Village Bible Church, and it's my great privilege each and every week to open up God's Word, and I'm going to ask you to open up the Bible to the book of Hebrews as we continue in this summer series that we've entitled Heroes from Hebrews, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, what has been coined the Hall of Faith. And we have been looking each week at each one of these inductees uh, that God, by His grace, has placed into this Hall of Faith because these ordinary people who were very much like you and I did great things for God in their obedience and trust of God. And the reason why is they exhibited great faith in the God who promised things to them. And they believed, even though they didn't see all of those promises come to fruition, they believed and acted in obedience to what God had to say to them. And, uh, and we've been learning from their stories. And the last couple of weeks, we were looking at the life of Abraham. And Abraham's a big character uh, in the book of Hebrews. In fact, in Hebrews 11, he covers more than one quarter of all of the verses of this one chapter. But we know that uh, Abraham was a great man in the Bible. Chapter upon chapter in the book of Genesis is dedicated to the life and times and uh, the events of Abraham's life. And today, uh, like rapid fire, we're going to go through the next three generations. We're going to look at Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to do so with giving them each a verse apiece. And we're going to learn how they all exhibited tenacious faith. Faith that persevered. Faith that endured. Faith that stayed true when it mattered the most at the end of their lives. Now, as we look at these men, and we'll get into their lives here in a moment, we're going to see that they weren't perfect men, that they had idiosyncrasies and dysfunctions, and quite frankly, they had sins that at times really crippled their relationship with God. And yet, we will see at the end of their lives, each of these men looking forward, bless their children, and bless further future generations to, if you will, pass on the baton of what God was doing in their lives and passing on the faith to those who would come after them. And this morning, I want to look at what it means for us to have a tenacious faith, a faith that perseveres. Because quite frankly, at times, living the life um, in Christ, living the Christian life, can be difficult, it can be hard, it can involve lots of endurance, and today we want to learn how to finish the race as we started the race, and we're going to learn from these men's three examples what it is to finish strong, and this morning I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 20. And to go through verse 22 and uh, understand why these men are commended and then learn some truths from God's word as a result of it. So let's look at Hebrews chapter uh, 11, starting in uh, verse uh, 18. It says through, I'm sorry, not 18, verse uh, chapter 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's stop there and let's ask for a blessing on our time. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our worship team that have led us in worship, reminding us of who you are and why we should praise you. 
Thank you for our time around the table uh, to remember your death and burial and resurrection from the grave as we look forward to the promise that as you have gone to prepare a place for us, you will come back and take us to be with you so that we can be with you forever. Lord, I pray that between now and then, the fulfillment of that great promise of you coming back and receiving us back to yourself, that you would find us faithful, that you would find us obedient. Lord, I know that that is easy to pray, it's easy to preach, but it's hard to live out. I know there are are many in our congregation that find obeying you this week tough. Tough because of their circumstances. Tough because some of the prospects of uh, their lives and, and, and what's going on. Tough because of opposition. And so, Lord, I pray that you would grow our endurance, that you would give us these wonderful examples that we can follow to see how the race is finished. Thank you, Lord Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith for finishing your race and winning the race. Thank you for showing us that there's great joy to be had in running the race because of what is in store for us. Now, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, I pray you will teach us from your word this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Usually at the beginning of each of my sermons, I share a story or an anecdote to kind of set the the stage for what we're going to learn about. And this morning, I want to show a video, but before I do, I want to kind of preface the video to give you a little bit of understanding. It's 1968, Mexico City, it's the Olympics. And the last event of the entire Olympics is the marathon. And the marathon is being run, and, and guys are finishing the race, first place, second place, third place, all come in. But word begins to grow and begins to be known that one of the favorites of the race, one of the runners who they thought would finish incredibly high in the standings, had been a part of a very, very bad fall. And as a result of that, had injured his knee badly, bleeding um, and all kinds of internal damage to his leg. And what you're going to learn is, amidst great struggle, amidst great opposition, if you will, with regards to injury, with regards to great pain and difficulty, we learn the story of a runner from Tanzania. Let's take our attention to the screens and let's hear the rest of the story. What an incredible story. Story of endurance, perseverance, a story of a no-quit attitude, never giving in, pushing yourself to the limits and fighting through the temptation to quit the race. I didn't know this story until this week, and I was struck with the quote that I think is so important for us as Christians to hear. He says, my country did not send me here to start the race, but to finish it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to make something abundantly clear to you this morning. Taking what we've just heard, our God in heaven did not send you here to live a life on earth to start a race, but to finish it. Now that's a mouthful because starting the race is easy. Have you ever watched uh, the Chicago Marathon or any of the marathons that go on? At the beginning of the race, everyone is smiling. Everyone is filled with joy. 
Everybody's high-fiving. They're joking around. And then about midway through the race, there is no joking going on. There is no smiling taking place. There are faces of agony, of pain, uh, of endurance and perseverance. And, and as you get farther and farther down the, the marathon race, you see people growing in their questioning, should I even continue on? And, and I think it's the Boston Marathon that will show you how many runners have opted out of the race. And you'll see thousands upon thousands start the race, but only a fraction ever finish it. And as a Christian, we start the race in our conversion with smiles on our faces. We feel the embrace of the presence of God and enjoy His favor. And we, with great admiration, look forward and we think about all that God is going to do in our lives. And then we start running. And the muscles start to tighten up. The stomach begins to cramp. And the fatigue begins to set in. Whether it's temptation, whether it's trial or tribulation, running the race for Jesus isn't easy. It's hard. That's why the Bible calls it a race. A race isn't easy. And the Bible doesn't seemingly talk about it being a short sprint, but a long, drawn-out marathon. And one of the tendencies that people have is that they give up on the race. They quit when the going gets tough. I want you to know this morning that the Bible is full of exhortations for us to press on and to keep going even when the going gets tough. And what we need to do is we need to look to Christ and we need to see his example and we need to recognize when he was tired, he kept going. When he wanted to give up, he did not give in. And because of that, we enjoy the great benefits and blessings of being in a relationship with God. If we want to understand Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph this morning, we've got to back up a little bit. And I want to use my first point to help again. We're kind of midway through this series. I want to stop and remind us why we're doing this series. I I want you to know that when we put together sermon series, we do so with great thought in mind. And there's a tendency, though, that we've got to be careful with. We have taken a passage, Hebrews 11, and we've built a series around it. And one of the things that we can do is to to take it out of its context and isolate it. What we can begin to do is we can use Hebrews 11 as just kind of these short biographical sketches of men and women of the faith that we can learn from and get some some moral truth or or feel good a takeaway from it. But I want you to know that Hebrews 11 is in context to the whole of the book of Hebrews. And if we extrapolate Hebrews 11 from its context, We miss the whole premise of what is being articulated and what is seen in Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph's life. So I want to remind you that we need a context. Write this down. We need a context of the book that we are studying. Hebrews is a book that is written to Christians exhorting them not to give up. The Christians of their day... We're struggling. Life for Christian and for, for Christians and Christianity wasn't easy. There was a great temptation that instead of enduring all of this hardship and all of this struggle for the cause of Christ to just give up and to call yourself out of the race. And the writer says, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. There's something of great reward waiting for you. And the writer of Hebrews begins by reminding us why our endurance and why our perseverance is 
is so important. And the reason why is because Jesus is greater and more superior than anything we could gain in this world. And as a result of that, Jesus is worth the endurance. Jesus is worth the hardship. Jesus is worth the struggle. But things had really gotten difficult for the people that he was writing to, this writer of Hebrews. They were really getting beat up at all sides. And I want you to know the book of Hebrews is written, and it's written to a group of people who are being pushed around by the culture around them. They're being pushed all over the place. And we need to recognize that the whole basis for Hebrews 11 is really found in Hebrews 10. So if you're in Hebrews 11, just turn a page to Hebrews chapter 10 in verses 32 through 39. And then we'll begin, as I did in week one, to remember why Hebrews 11 is there. He says, but recall the former days when you were enlightened, when you were saved, and how you have endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. Well, why were they in prison? Because they followed Christ. And you joyfully accepted the plundering, the stealing of your property. Why would your property be stolen? Because you were um, showing your allegiance to Christ. The Roman world would not allow that to take place. And so they took your property. He goes on and he says, uh, as a result, since you, that you yourselves know that you had a better possession, an abiding one. So therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And then the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, if he quits, if he gives up, then my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink away, or shrink back who are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. It is this that helps us to recognize that amidst hardships and struggles, trials and tribulations, that we need to show endurance and faith. And we too who are pushed back by culture, we too who find ourselves uh, being uh, seen hostility by the world around us, need to live lives of endurance. So Hebrews 11 is a picture that the people of Hebrews weren't the only ones who had struggled. They weren't the only ones who had to exhibit faith. And so Hebrews 11 comes on the heels of this and it says, listen, faith is the key. Faith is the factor. Have a strong and abiding faith and you will finish the race. Now, the question is, well, how do I do it? It's hard. It's difficult. I feel isolated. Notice the writer goes on and he says the way that we press on is with the help of other Christians. Write that down. We've got to press on. Well, how do we do it? We don't do it in isolation. We do it with others around us. So the writer goes on in Hebrews chapter 10. And notice he says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us 
through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He goes on and he says, let us hold fast, let us persevere to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God has saved you, he says, and God has cleansed you, and God has promised things for you, and now your job and my job as followers of Jesus Christ is not to waver, but to endure. Well, how do we do that, writer? How do we do that, the man who writes this book of Hebrews? The answer is, with the help of others. Notice, first of all, in verses 19 through 26 of Hebrews chapter 10, in those six verses, there are more than 10 plural pronouns. Christianity is never to be done in isolation. Notice the phrase, let us, three different times, let us, let us. Notice the phraseology that we see, this idea that we enter this place. We have a great high priest. We have had our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies, plural, washed with water. We are the ones. Who are the we? The collective body of believers. God says endurance is found in a relationship with one another. That's why he says that we need to spur one another on in chapter 10, verse 24, to spur one another on towards love and good works. That's why not giving up attending and being a part of the body is so important, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we gather together as Christians, we encourage one another, we spur one another on because we we're all running this race, and all of us have the temptation of stopping and getting out of the race. Far too many in my life as a pastor have I seen people that just because it gets too hard or the temptations become too real, that they say, you know what, I want out. I'm going to walk away from it all. And we have this great temptation to walk away from it all. But we are told that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to help one another stay in the race. We're to encourage one another to stay in the race. Now, Hebrews 11 is pictures of people who finished the race, who endured difficult circumstances, who endured difficult tests, who endured all kinds of temptation and struggle and crossed the finish line. Think about this. How encouraging is it to know that the race that is being run has been run and finished by people before us. Now we go to chapter 12, so we bookend Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 10, and then we go to chapter 12, and notice what it says. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that which clings so tightly, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now right away, many people will say, what is being articulated is, now we've seen this people of faith, they are this great cloud of witnesses. But I want you to know something. Well, that is the universal, seemingly accepted interpretation. I think it's a broader interpretation. 
And the broader interpretation is, is the great cloud of witnesses that are causing us to run with endurance are the great men and women of the faith of chapter 11, and they are your brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church in chapter 10. Does that make sense? So you have this great cloud of witnesses. You're running, and all of that you're running awful slow right now. And there's weights and there's hindrances and there's struggles that are coming. And you want to give up everything in your body. says, I want to quit. This walking with Jesus at times is just too hard. And then you come to church and a great cloud of witnesses speaks to you and encourages you and tells you keep running, keep enduring, don't give up. There's a great end in sight. And one of the things that we love at Village Bible Church is the cross-generational thing that goes on that we have people of all ages. Why? Because we want to see our older people who are at the end of their race encouraging the younger ones who are just starting the race. And we want those who are just starting the race to encourage those who are at the end of the race not to give up. So here we are, this great cloud of witnesses encouraging one another to endure. Once we understand the context of Hebrews 11, then we can understand the reason why Hebrews 11 was written. It was written to be an encouragement to you and I that we would not give up and live lives of endurance. Now, with all that said, let's look at three characters from the Bible. We've got three characters from the Bible that we need to examine this morning. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, I want you to know there are three verses that are dedicated to these guys. Three verses. We've just spent uh, eight to ten verses, excuse me, on Abraham. And now we get a verse each of Abraham's son, grandson, and great-grandson. Now, I want you to know a couple things before I get into their lives. Number one, I'm not going to get into great detail. And so you can see uh, the, the stories of their lives in the last half of the book of Genesis. And you can see how God moved them. And in many ways, you'll see that God did some great things through them. And in other ways, you'll see that they were just very earthy guys, living life and doing life in many ways the same way we do. But a couple of things about them. Number one, they all come from the same family. Son, grandson, great-grandson. So they carry a level of DNA. But these guys are incredibly different. Number one, they are different people altogether. And what I mean by that is their makeup is totally different. And we know this to be true. If you're a part of a family and you have siblings or if you have children and grandchildren, you recognize and know that while you come from the same gene pool, You're very different than the closest relatives that you have. And likewise, these men are very different. How they look at life, how they interact with life is very different from one another. Number two, we need to recognize the circumstances of their life. They had experiences that were different one from another. And just like in a close-knit family, The circumstances of life are different. Some people seemingly have everything go well for them throughout life, and others deal with trials and troubles seemingly each and every day. These guys had different issues going on in their life that they experienced. The third thing I want you to see of their differences is their compromises. 
Each one of these men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, different makeup, different circumstances. Each of them, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, they all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And while we may not, while we have in some instances a litany of sins that they committed, especially in Jacob's life, Joseph, it says nothing about him doing anything evil or wrong, and yet we recognize and know that he was a sinner just like you and I. And so he, he, all these guys had compromises. They sinned. They made bad decisions that would reckon them a sinner in need of God's grace. Now, those are the differences. What are the similarities? The writer of Hebrews gives us two similarities. Number one, they had faith in the same God. And that tells us that something, while the family relationship within each of these men's lives is at times utterly brutal that they had done a good job of passing the faith one to another. Four generations walked with God and believed in God because it was handed from one generation to another. A great reminder for us as parents and grandparents that our job isn't just to make sure that we're okay with God, but that we're transferring to the best of our ability the faith from our generation to the next generation and the generation then after that. And that means doing things at times with a focus and a plan looking to the future and recognizing that it isn't every man for themselves, but recognizing that at some point someone handed you their faith with the idea and the thought that you would hand your faith to someone else, especially those who are closest to you. The second similarity is that they have faith in the same God and they exhibited this faith in the last moments of their life. In the writing of, of Hebrews 11, 20 through 22, the example that is given of each of these men is in the last days of their lives. Not at the beginning, not when they're young, not when they're middle-aged, but when they are in the last season of life, quite especially literally in the last moments, as they are about to die. And so in the most important time where they needed to show faith, they did. They finished the race as faithful people. Now let's look at each of them very quickly and pull a, a lesson or two from each of them. Number one, Isaac, the son, the promised son of Abraham. We learn that faithfulness is found in mundane obedience. And here's what we know of Isaac. Not very much. Now you would think that Moses, who wrote Genesis, would have told us a lot about Isaac. He was the promised son to Abraham and Sarah. For almost a hundred years, they waited for Isaac to be born. Isaac was going to be a fulfillment of a promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah, that they would make them a great nation. Isaac was that fulfillment. But Moses doesn't speak much about Isaac. Isaac seemingly falls into the shadows of his father. Father being a great man, a man of great notoriety. Isaac seemingly is the run-of-the-mill kind of guy. He goes about his life digging wells for people, which was an important work. But there was no grandeur, there was no acclaim, 
There was no real popularity of Isaac. There's nothing that seemingly sets Isaac apart. Now, Isaac has an encounter with God, and God seemingly meets him at different points in time, but nowhere, listen, nowhere to the extent that he did with his father Abraham, and really nowhere to what he would do to his son Jacob. Isaac, in many ways, is kind of odd as a transitionary figure. And he goes about, he's a simple and average guy, and he goes about living life. He gets married, he has two sons, the family is far from perfect. In fact, the family is filled with favoritism, family is filled with, with family prejudice, and as a result of that, we see Isaac, and what we know about Isaac Isaac makes some unwise decisions, not so much sinful, but just unwise decisions that cost him dearly in life. But here's what we learn. Seemingly, he is a faithful man just living his life, doing the best seemingly that he can. And some of us take great solace in that fact. Because some of us find ourselves not on the front lines of ministry, not up on stage and everybody seeing you, but you find yourself more behind the scenes. You find yourself more in just the, I'm going to get up and I'm going to quietly order my life in such a way that I obey God and do what he says. No one's ever going to speak uh, of my acclaim. No one's ever going to speak of my popularity. Um, I'm not going to be known for how many Twitter followers I have. I'm going to be in the shadows and that's okay. And I want you to know, God isn't concerned with the big bombastic things you do. God is concerned with what I call mundane, everyday obedience. And you should be commended for that. Some of the most noble and faithful people that I know never were on a stage with their lives. They just faithfully served Nobody really knew who they were. Nobody really made any uh, big mention of them. But they lived their life faithfully. The missions movement of our world is filled with missionaries who nobody knows who faithfully served and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Sunday school and children's and youth ministries are filled with people that will never get the spotlight on them. But faithfully, every Sunday are there teaching the Word of God. Every Wednesday, they're sharing with students. Faithful, obedient. And maybe you find yourself today as an Isaac, and I want you to know God sees what you're doing. And you will be commended for your faith because God doesn't want pomp and circumstance. He wants obedience. And Isaac, at the end of his life, looks to his sons and blesses them. Literally, a transfer of all that I believe about God, all that I know about God, all that I see coming in the future of God, I give to you, Jacob and Esau, and I bless you, and I commend you to give your life to God. And Isaac dies and is commended for his faith. Let's look at Jacob for a moment. Isaac, lackluster guy, not much going on, not anything to, to write home about, just faithfulness. And then his son Jacob is a different story. Jacob, we learn faithfulness, can even be found after a life of mess-ups. 
Jacob is the personification of two songs that I've grown to love. George Thorogood and the Destroyers, Bad to the Bone. And Credence, Clearwater Revival, Bad Moon Rising. Jacob was trouble from the beginning. And when I mean from the beginning, I mean in utero, uh, Jacob is causing trouble. They're wrestling with one another. The two twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's grabbing at Esau's leg as they're uh, uh, being birthed into this world. And we see the life of Jacob. He's fighting everyone. He's a deceiver. He's a scoundrel. He's a thief. He reneges on his promises. He is an unfaithful dude who seemingly is looking to fight and battle anybody he comes in contact with, not only human beings, but God as well. We are told that at his greatest point of rebellion, God meets him, And instead of worshiping God, Jacob wrestles God. Now, that's a dumb thing to do, right? And here's the crazy thing. Jacob gives God a good fight. Talk about perseverance. It says that he wrestled with God all night long grappling and 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 fighting with God now maybe God was not trying that hard but this shows the kind of I don't care who you are I don't care what your name is I don't care if you're God himself if you get in my way I'm gonna fight you either until I win or I die trying and he wrestles God And God breaks his hip amidst that wrestling match. And he limps the rest of his life as a result. We see in the life of Jacob, and I don't have time to do this. I dedicated 10 minutes to this. I could spend 10 weeks on it. But Jacob is a life of one mess up after another. It is a car crash that you can't turn away from. You just got to watch it. It's a train wreck. And he lives his life because selfishness and anger and deception are his motif. He lives his life hurting others and striving against others. But here we are told in verse 21 that he is commended. He is commended in the hall of faith. How can a treacherous, how can a deceitful, how can a sinner like Jacob Be commended for his faith, brothers and sisters, the same way you and I, as dirty, rotten scoundrels, are brought into the family of God by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so he's commended. At some point, he pulls it all together. At some point later in his life, he makes a decision, I'm done deceiving. He makes a decision, I'm done fighting. He makes a decision, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to be submissive to God. And he starts living his life in obedience to God. And and I just want to stop and I want you to recognize that maybe today you have come to God and you wonder, God, will you receive me? I've done this, I've done that, I've done the following. I've rebelled against you. I've fought against you, God. And God's grace and his mercy are there that when we confess our sin as Jacob did, God is faithful and just to forgive us. So no matter what your mess up is, no matter what your sinful decisions of the past are, you can choose obedience today and God will find you faithful. 
because he is faithful to forgive you. And so here is this man later in his life after a life of mess ups who blesses Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And we know that uh, he would bless his grandchildren and he would tell his grandchildren You live in Egypt, and I know maybe some of you don't know that full story, but Joseph, of course, is living in Egypt at the time. And Jacob reminds his grandchildren that their God is not the God of Egypt, that their uh, place of residency is not in Egypt, but it's in Canaan, and most especially it's with God. And Jacob blesses his two grandchildren, Hebrews 11 says, and he casts a vision of what God wants to do in and through them. Now we turn to Joseph. Joseph, we see, faithfulness is measured through our trials, through our temptations, and through our triumphs. Now, a couple years ago, we did the life of Joseph, and we spent 12 Sundays on his life. I don't have 12 Sundays. I've got about a minute and a half, right? And so here's what you need to know about Joseph's life. Joseph's life is a life perpetually of ups and downs. And when I mean ups, I mean real ups and real downs. He goes from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat, to the thrill of victory, to the agony of defeat, to the thrill of victory, to the agony of defeat, to finally the thrill of victory. And the span between those thrills of victory and agonies of defeat are massive. He's a prized son. He's punished by his brothers. He's taken into captivity as a slave. He's promoted into Potiphar's house. He's doing well in Potiphar's house and is elevated to the second over all of Potiphar's possessions and his houses. His wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph says, no way, and flees from that temptation. And that lands Joseph in prison. Joseph's in prison for 13 years. Midway through it, he's told that a baker and a cupbearer are going to speak well of him before the king when they are pardoned, but they forget about him. And for 13 years, Joseph rots in an Egyptian jail for a crime he didn't commit. And then the cupbearer remembers that Joseph has the the ability to interpret dreams. And Joseph, I'm sorry, the cupbearer learns that Pharaoh has dreams that are really causing him angst. And the cupbearer says, I know a guy who can help you. I know a guy who can interpret your dreams. And they bring Joseph out of prison and he interprets the dreams. And the dreams are about an impending coming famine. And because of his wise interpretation, Pharaoh elevates him to the role of prime minister over all of Egypt. He marries. He is reunited with his brothers. And uh, the story goes on. What man intended for bad, God intended for good. Ups and downs. And I want you to know that Joseph's life isn't measured on what he does per se that he was the prime minister or anything like that but his faithfulness is measured when trials came 
His faithfulness was measured when temptation knocked on his door. Temptation, I'm sorry, uh, faithfulness came when he was on top of the world. And each of us find ourselves in one of those things. We find ourselves in tribulation, we find ourselves amidst temptation, or we find ourselves in triumph. And wherever you find yourself today, remember Joseph, that his faithfulness was seen in every one of those episodes of life, and your faithfulness and my faithfulness should be seen there as well. No matter what's going on, no matter your circumstances, you are called. I am called to be faithful. Three characters, three applications. Now, these guys weren't perfect. And we could spend hours on all of their mess ups. But what God commends them for at the end of their lives is that they had found what it meant to be faithful. Now, what do we do with this? There's a challenge that is before us. This is my shortest point. We'll have you out right on time. As we run our race, as we grow tired because circumstances get us down and challenges disappoint us and temptations distract, we begin to realize that the race isn't easy. We begin to realize that the race is hard. But if we, like these three men, at the end of the race are going to be found faithful, three things are key. Number one, endurance is key. you got to keep on pressing on. And if you're tired and you're feeling like you're going to give up, one of the things that we do, and this is so very crucial to your well-being and your sanctification, there will be times where you will grow tired and you will grow weary. And you'll come up with all kinds of excuses as to why you should quit the race. The church is doing a bad job at meeting my needs. Uh, nobody cares about me. Um, you know, I, I served and nobody appreciates me. And the devil will use all these types of things to make you feel like you need to isolate yourself. I don't need these people. And the more and more you isolate yourself, the more and more you become prone to the temptation of giving up. And so what we do is, when endurance starts to wane, we stop attending church. We stop involving ourselves with Christians. Because we think this, and this is important, we think everybody else is doing just fine in the race, and we're the only one who's tired and wants to quit. I want you to know right now, that I'm glad that there are six days between Sundays, because your pastor wants to give up all the time. I want to give up all the time. It's hard. And living this life and enduring the things that we have to endure is difficult. But I need you. And I come to you. And I turn to you. And you encourage me through your example. You encourage me through your words. Don't give up, Pastor Tim. Don't give in. And I keep going. I keep trucking along. And I would have quit a long time ago on my own. But because of you, my great cloud of witnesses, I find endurance. Find people who will give you the endurance you need, who will encourage you to keep running the race. Number two, ending well is the goal. Ending well is the goal. It's not how you start the race, but how you finish the race. And I want to speak to a group of individuals who are dear to our church, and that is our older a uh, group of, of members. And I don't say that in a pejorative way, 
But you have struggles, you have issues, you have concerns that are unique to your age group that are different than, say, me at 42 or some of our young teenagers here. You're tired. The body doesn't work like it used to. You don't have the energy. You don't have the vigor that you once did. And and things are starting to wane in your life. You're seeing now the last of many things that are taking place. And in those moments, you feel marginalized and you feel unimportant and you feel like you're not needed. And I want to remind you that those are all lies from the devil. And that the greatest thing that you can do in the last chapter of your life is to finish well. And here's why. We, the younger, need to see that. We need to see those in their 60s and 70s and 80s finishing the race. Why? Because if we don't see how you finish, we will never know how to finish ourselves. Does that make sense? And so I need men and women who show me, even though their bodies may be failing them, that they trust in God and they believe in God and they look forward to heaven because at 42, I need to know that the race is worth it. And I need brothers and sisters who end well, who finish the race. And I need to encourage them and and bless them and minister to them and take care as younger generation the needs that they have in that last leg of the race. And we as young people need to encourage them. And you know how you encourage older people? You honor them. You respect them. You hold them in high esteem. You listen to their stories. You give them a voice to speak, though it may be frail, though it may be quiet, you give them opportunity to share what the Lord is teaching them, because we need to know how to finish the race well. Finally, and we can never forget this, we need to emulate Jesus. We need to emulate Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 12, He closes with, he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside every weight and sin which clings so tightly, and let us run with endurance the race that is set for us. Well, who should we be looking to? Notice what he says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. How do we run the race? With joy in our heart. Why? Because Jesus showed us that what is coming for us is greater than any trial, tribulation, or issue. Just like that beginning video where we saw a man who was injured, a man who was broken, a man who was tired. He kept running, even at times just simply walking, because he knew that his country had not sent him there to start the race, but to finish it. God has given you a race to run. He didn't want to see you start it. He wants to see you finish it. And when you do, after that long journey is done, this is what God promises. Jesus will be there at the finish line, and he will announce to the world, well done, good and faithful servant. And in that moment, all of our toiling, all of our striving, all of our running 
will have been worth 